Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. Since the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, a dozen states have enacted near-total bans on the procedure, and more are expected to do so in the coming months. That's causing many Democratic candidates in California and across the nation to center abortion, while Republican candidates shy away from the issue. We'll talk about the role abortion is playing in the midterms, and we want to hear from you. Is abortion driving your vote? That's next. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. California's Proposition 1 would enshrine the right to an abortion in the state constitution. Beyond supporting the proposition, Democrats up for local and state offices in California and beyond are putting abortion front and center in their campaigns. But will concerns about reproductive rights be enough to push voters to the polls? We're going to talk about the role abortion is playing in midterms this hour, both here in California and in key states. And we want to hear from you. Is abortion driving your vote? Here's who's joining us first. Melanie Mason is national political correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. Hey, Mel. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And in studio with me is Joe Garofoli. He's senior political writer and my former colleague at the San Francisco Chronicle, host of the podcast It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. Hey, Joe. Hello there. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you. So ahead of the show, we received this comment from a listener. Uh, Proposition one is vague and confusing. I am pro-choice and want to know, does it allow abortion up to the time of delivery? Does anyone understand the text of the proposition? We can get to that first question in a second, but can you just lay out, Joe, what, what this ballot measure does? It's a shockingly short and concise California ballot measure. It is. It, as you said at the top of the show, it would enshrine uh, abortion rights into the state's constitution. And that was it's purely a protection against uh, a future legislator legislature from changing the law and a protection against federal uh, you know, the, the, what we saw after the Dobbs decision. Um, there is little doubt that this will pass. Um, but the question is, how much will it pass? Uh, they, the supporters want it to pass by the, at least a 60% margin. And um, polls indicate it probably will. It probably will. It's a 69% support in the one uh, latest poll. Um, but, the, but the challenge there is, uh, you know, if, if, uh, is that many people don't know that it, abortion rights is on the ballot, as, as, your, uh, as, as the caller or listener uh, alluded to there. 
Yeah. Well, I want to play a cut from the California Family Council, Sophia Laurie, at the No on Prop 1 press conference this week. She's going to get at one of these issues uh, that came up from that listener as well. Prop 1 does nothing to advance prenatal or postpartum care. It does nothing to treat women with higher risks for maternal mortality rate. It only expands late-term abortion. Is that true? I have asked legal scholars about this, and uh, they say that, you know, it is it is vague enough that it could say that. But uh, legal scholars uh, at, uh, at UC Berkeley, at USF, have said that they believe that the, the California Supreme Court would follow the pre-Dobbs precedent of allowing abortions until the point of viability with exceptions for the uh, threat to the pregnant person's health. And it does not actually, I mean, it, it, it seems a little disingenuous to say it would do that. It might open the door to that if the legislature tried to change state law in that way. But this itself doesn't actually say that, right? This, it doesn't say that. And it, and I don't think there's an appetite for that. If you look at polls, there is concern about later term abortions, uh, you know, even in California. Yeah. So... Uh, We've talked. I mean, it sounds like there are probably going to be legal challenges if it passed. There's also questions about how it would interact if Republicans took Congress and the White House and passed a federal ban. Do we know? I mean, I, I almost hate asking this question, but, but we don't know what the outcome of those legal challenges or that sort of we, legal question would we be. We don't. And, and let, you know, politically, I don't know how much sense it would it would be to, to make a legal challenge at this point, given uh, the the composition of the Supreme Court. Why why run up against the wall? You know it, it, that you're you're on a losing end of a yeah. six three uh, majority, uh, conservative majority. So I I you know. That's that's down the road. Right. That is down the road. We don't know how far, but uh, and it could be far. All right. Before we turn to Melanie and kind of broader congressional concerns, because I think that's one of the places this is really interesting. I mean, you kind of mentioned that beyond just enshrining this right, I think Democrats really hope that this could help drive turnout this year, that it would get attention. Um, but one race where I think a candidate is not so happy it's getting attention is in a San Mateo, a local race in San Mateo County that you wrote about. Just tell us about that. It is so interesting in this day and age to have these dynamics in the Bay Area. Right. You, you, statewide uh, abortion rights uh, advocates rarely get involved in you know micro local races like a city, like a San Mateo City Council race. But there, there was one candidate, Ron Linares, who uh, was very vague and, and sort of dodged the question about where he stood on Prop One in some public forums. And so, uh, and part of the reason may be his day job is uh, as development director for the Archdiocese of San, uh, San Francisco, uh, which the Archbishop there, Archbishop Cordelione, has said that the bishops, California bishops have made overturning prop or defeating prop one one of their top priorities but you know I, it's like wh why do we care what the San Mateo City Council feels about this but uh, local uh, councils approve the siting of abortion clinics uh, reproductive health clinics they are responsible for the protection and there is one in San Mateo so that, that it's salient there and plus uh, today's uh, local city council member becomes tomorrow's state legislator. Uh, I think we both know of a, a certain uh, San Francisco, a former San Francisco district attorney who went on to become vice president. Uh, people climb the ladder. Right. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating in this year to be just unwilling to answer the question. Right. It, yes. It, and uh, and to Planned Parenthood, uh, talk to them statewide. They say 
candidates of all levels, like Park Park Commission District uh, members, say, please uh, endorse me because I st- here's where I stand on Prop 1. I don't know how, how that plays into a Park uh, Commission position, but they want the imprimatur of, of, hey, I am for abortion rights in this year. Yeah. All right. Well, Melanie, I want to bring you in here. Um, I know you've been covering some of the close congressional races. Um, and before we even talk about your trip to New Mexico, I want to me- like mention the congressional races here. We have a handful of swing seats. And, you know, all of the House Republicans who are looking like they could be vulnerable signed a legal brief urging the Supreme Court to overturn Roe, th- uh, have co-sponsored the Life at Conception Act, which would, you know, say that life being is at conception. Is this something Democrats or Republicans in California want to talk about? No, not particularly, especially with gas prices being what they are and inflation being what it is. I mean, I think that what we're seeing in a lot of these races is that the two campaigns were almost like there's two parallel campaigns being run by a Democrat and Republican in some of these key races, because you have seen, particularly in the summer, um, heading into sort of the Labor Day uh, timeframe, Democrats were really honing in on this issue of abortion. It was such the central focus of their advertisements. And I think really trying to put Republicans on defense, particularly these Republicans Republican incumbents who had sponsored that Life at Consumption Act that you had mentioned. Um, While as Republicans, all they want to do is they want to talk about the economy. I think that they see uh, people's discontent with where the economy right now, they feel that they, Republicans, have the edge on that issue. And so you're really kind of seeing these two advertising campaigns, these two messaging campaigns that almost didn't really talk to each other at all. I think what we have seen in uh, most recent weeks, especially as it looks like the polls have gotten uh, a bit tighter in some of these key races, is that Democrats are not solely looking at the abortion issue. I think they do have, they are incorporating a little bit more about economic messaging. Uh, I think because they're at risk of sounding a little bit tone deaf when there are so many economic concerns on the minds of voters. But I do think that abortion, in addition to the sort of specific question of reproductive rights, access to abortion, um, it also is a larger sort of signaling question, right, about what's your sort of inclination with the parties? Does uh, Republican abortion stance also signal a larger, say, extremism, as Democrats Mm -hmm. would call it, on other issues? And so by talking about abortion, I think Democrats are, A, talking about the specific issue, but B, trying to remind perhaps more independent voters or maybe some squishy Democrats, hey, the Republicans writ large, you're uncomfortable with the party platform that they have. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) it's funny because I also think that Republicans are sort of trying to have it both ways. Um, first, I want to read a, a comment from a listener. Michael writes, the Dobbs decision assigned to the states the task of defining the scope of the abortion right. So I think both Lindsey Graham and Joe Biden are confused. Congress has no power to define the abortion right, either positively or negatively. But that's not actually true. I mean, again, if Republicans took back the White House and Congress, they could easily pass one of these. And I want to play a cut from Mike Garcia. He's a Republican running for re-election to the U.S. House to represent California's 27th congressional district. He's in a tight race, and he is one of the sponsors of the Life Begins at Conception Act. Um, and in this interview with Political Breakdown, he, he said this. What we're seeing is the Hispanic Latinos are actually pro-life for the most part as well uh, with their backgrounds. Uh, so, you know, the, the bottom line is you, you don't have to, you know, make one choice and sacrifice the other. And in our case in California, we have a, a proposition on the ballot that you can, if you're a strong pro-life or you're strong uh, pro-abortion, you have the option with Prop 1. That struck me as sort of wild, Melanie. <laughs> I mean, what do you make of that? It's This is somebody who is admittedly anti-abortion, but he's kind of saying, well, I'll just vote for Prop 1. 
Well, yes, there's there's several things in that comment that I think we can pick apart. But for that first point, I mean, that comment reminds me of the comment that he made the day that the Dobbs decision came out, where he basically said, all right, this is up to the states now. Talk to your representatives in Sacramento. Essentially, like this is not a matter for Congress. But of course, Representative Garcia was also a sponsor of the Life at Conception Act prior to the Dobbs uh, decision right. that would have imposed a federal ban. And so I think that this this sort of stance of, hey, man, like this is up to the states and California seems to be a pro-abortion rights state. So not really an issue here goes in direct contradiction to the policies that he was backing when he was in Congress, um, you know, prior to that decision. Um, I think the other point that he made, which I think is interesting and we can uh, delve into a bit more, is this question about uh, where Latino voters yeah. are on the question of abortion. Save um, that, Mel. We're going to get to sure. that after the break. We'll I know Joe that. wants to jump in real quick. Yeah, no, I was uh, on Sunday I'm, I'm, in the Chronicle. I'm writing about uh, a race in the uh, in a swing district in the San Joaquin Valley here in the Central Valley between uh, Josh Harder, Democrat incumbent, and uh, Tom Patty, a, a local county supervisor, and they are not touching abortion, neither of them, because this is a this is a purple district. Uh, they they want to talk about gas, inflation, crime. Well, Harder doesn't want to talk about crime, uh, I, but those are the issues that they want to talk about there. So they're they're dodging this. Uh, they they both think it's uh, they'll appeal to the base, but they're not uh, they're not pushing it. Yeah, that's so fascinating. All right. We are talking about the role abortion is playing in the midterms here in California and in key states with Melanie Mason. She's national political correspondent for the L.A. Times. Joe Garofoli, senior political writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. And we'll be bringing in a reporter from uh, Georgia after the break. And we want to hear from you. Is abortion driving your vote? Do you think Democrats are focusing on it too much in their campaigns or not enough? What about Republicans? You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can also find us on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can give us a call now. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Before we take our break, I want to read another tweet from a listener. Noel says, abortion has always driven my vote, but I'm unhappy with the Democratic Party using abortion to get votes to voters to vote for them. They had 50 years to make abortion legal nationally through the congressional action, and they went along with the Hyde Amendment, making abortion unattainable for the poor. Lots of feelings out there. As we said, give us a call, send us a tweet or email. Let us know how you feel. We'll be back after a short break here. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. And for Mina Kim, we're talking today about the role abortion is playing in the midterms with Melanie Mason at the L.A. Times. She's a national political correspondent, senior political writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, Joe Garofoli. And joining us now is Maya Prabhu. She is state government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey, Maya. Hey, how are you guys doing? Well, thanks for being here. So I want to hear from both you and Melanie. Um you are obviously in Georgia, where there is both a big Senate and Congress, or um, excuse me, governor's race playing out. Um, and I know, Melanie, you just went to New Mexico recently to talk to Latinos about how abortion's playing there. Maya, let's start with you, though. I mean, what is your sense? <laughs> the Georgia Senate race abortion has come up very clearly with Herschel Walker being accused uh, by a woman of having you know, that he paid for her abortion. Um, but it doesn't seem like Senator Raphael Warnock is leaning that hard into at least that part of the abortion debate. Yeah, he hasn't brought up, uh, you know, these allegations against um, Herschel Walker at all in any of the events where I've seen or in the debates that I've seen. Um, he's staying away from from that part of things, but he does, you know, he does talk about abortion. He, he doesn't make it a huge part of his dumb speech, but he always has said that he's a pro-choice pastor and that, um, you know, he supports uh, abortion under the guidance of Roe, because they've, they've kind of tried to pin him down and say, like, how, at what point do you think um, abortion should, should no longer be legal? And he says, he has said it, you know, he supports up to the guidelines provided by Roe. And so, yeah, it's interesting to see how abortion has um, made itself front and center in that race, but it doesn't really, we'll, we'll see the next round of polls. We have polling coming out soon, but to see how much that swayed voters. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem to have an impact, at least with the Republican voters that I've spoken to so far. And in ads, just in general, I mean, is this an issue that's coming up or are we just seeing so much talk about inflation, the economy, these gas prices, things, you know, that are on people's minds, obviously, as well? It comes up a little bit. Uh, a lot of the Democrats in general, like the Democratic Party, you know, they run ads talking about abortion and 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 the need to keep Raphael Warnock in Senate so that, um, you know, if, if the Republicans get majority, you know, they're saying Republicans are coming for abortion, they're going to do a nationwide ban. So we need to keep Raphael Warnock in, in the Senate. Warnock's ads haven't uh, pushed hard on the uh, abortion angle. He has an ad that I see all the time that had been running before these allegations came out with uh, his ex-wife from an interview that she did, you know, years ago, talking about how he was abusive and threatened to kill her. So that's the ad that we've seen coming from Warnock. He hasn't really leaned into the into the abortion stuff as much. Melanie, as I said, you traveled to New Mexico recently, um, which is the most Latino state in the nation. And the district that you focused on is the most Latino district in the most Latino state in the nation. Um can you talk about this? Because I think, you know, you mentioned in the piece just how for a long time there was this sense among Democrats that they shouldn't really lean into abortion with Latino voters because of, you know, Catholicism and the sense that they might be more socially conservative. Um, but it seems like that calculation has changed. I think that calculation has changed. And I think that that is 
both a function of the Dobbs decision, I think, sort of really crystallizing people's views. We did see a pretty significant shift in polling, even among, say, Latino Catholics um, who already had supported uh, Roe v. Wade and did not want to see that overturned prior to Dobbs. But man, those numbers really did shot up, shoot up afterwards. But I also think that it is we're seeing a reevaluation of what I think were maybe some outdated assumptions about uh, Latino voters and particularly Latino Catholics. I think that Latino evangelical voters do tend to be more conservative uh, and tend to be more anti-abortion rights. But talking to pollsters, talking to voters on the ground, and talking to people who really work in this space, they said that the assumption that Latino Catholics who may personally be opposed to abortion um, may not necessarily be voting anti-abortion rights because of sort of, I think, their relationship with uh, both their faith and how they see sort of the government interfering mm. with, say, healthcare um, decisions or even faith-based decisions. And I found that out on the trail. I spoke to uh, voters out in um, Mimbres, uh, New Mexico, which is uh, in the southern part of the state, um, an 80-year-old woman, Ruth Rodriguez, who told me that she's Catholic. She doesn't like uh, abortion. She thinks that it is goes against God, God's will. But she was very quick to say, but I don't know what's going on in people's lives. And it's not my role to judge. And I think that it's not the government's role to judge. And I think that was a nuance that Democrats and Republicans, quite frankly, had been missing for a long time. I think Democrats now feel more comfortable talking about the abortion issue. We see ads in Spanish. In fact, one of the ads that's running now for Proposition 1 here in California is entirely in Spanish language uh, and speaking about uh, abortion access. So we are seeing that shift. I think that what Democrats have to struggle with, particularly as we see some drift to the right overall among Latino voters, is will the abortion issue be enough? And we have spoken to pollsters who say that abortion may be a, a, a sort of added benefit when de Democrats are talking to Latinos, but it cannot be the only issue. And that we saw that out on the trail that Gabe Vasquez, the uh, Democratic challenger who I followed, he was advertising based on abortion rights. But when he was out knocking doors, talking to voters in Spanish, he led on economic issues. He right. realized that you have to do both. Yeah. Um, you know, Joan writes, often in the national vote, the economy and inflation is used to distract from the right to abortion. In the 50 years of Roe, the economy pendulum swung to good and bad times, but throughout women had the right to an abortion. The same holds true now, but in the reverse. The economy inflation pendulum will continue to swing in good and bad times, and some will and won't have the right to abortion. Um, I actually want to play a cut because I do think that some candidates are trying to make this connection on the left between abortion and economic issues, which are clearly front of mind. And we have a cut from uh, Stacey Abrams, the Georgia Democratic nominee for governor, on MSNBC's Morning Joe this week. Abortion is an economic issue. It's been reduced to this idea of a culture war. But for women in Georgia, this is a very much a question of whether they're going to end up in poverty in the next mm -hmm. five years, because women who are forced to carry unwanted pregnancies end up in poverty within five. They're four times more likely to be impoverished in five years. They're twice as likely to be on food stamps. This is an economic issue, and it's being reduced to this culture conversation. Maya Prabhu, you're in uh, at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in Georgia. Do you think that's resonating with people? Like, is that connection actually being made for voters? You know, this is kind of the first time we heard her draw that line mm. for, for voters. Um, so it, I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, but that has often been the argument for some women who choose to get abortions uh, saying, you know, I can't afford it. This is this is not something that I can do right now. So the idea of saying that abortion is an economic issue as well, um, I mean, to me makes sense, but, you know, we saw uh, 
folks uh, on the Republican side saying that she was trying to say that getting abortions reduce inflation. That's not what I took away from what I heard, but you know, <laughs> politics <laughs> you is politics, right? Clip, clip it and take it out of context. That's exactly. we're in that we're in that season. Well, I know Maya that when but when uh, the Dobbs decision was uh, issued, you were actually at the National Right to Life Convention in Atlanta. I'm curious, like thinking back to then, and obviously, I'm sure that was a group that was very happy about the decision. Um, how you kind of see this evolution over the past months as we head into the midterms? I mean, has it proved uh, proven to be as potent as folks thought? Has it waned? I think there's a sense among some people that the kind of issue and strength around that for Democrats peaked this summer a little early. Yeah, uh, I remember when when the the ruling came out. You know, obviously, I was at, it just so happened that the Right to Life Convention was here and was being held on the day that the um, <clears throat> opinion was released. Uh, so obviously, in that room, elation, hugs, crying, tears of joy. Um, but there was this sense among Democrats that you know this is this is the galvanizing thing that we need to get voter to the polls, like this will motivate voters to, to the polls. And I remember saying at the time, like, no, like it feels like November's close, but November is a long time away. The news cycle is so fast. And right. I don't know how much people are really going to be thinking about abortion in November. It In Georgia, Democrats have this um, advantage of, it just so happens that next Monday and Tuesday, you know, the abortion providers here have sued to stop the law from um, being in effect under our state constitution, right? So obviously, tell the, us tell us what that law is. Just remind folks. So, so in Georgia, um, in 2019, they passed a law that bans most abortions once uh, fetal cardiac activity can be detected. You know, Got typically it. around six weeks. A lot of people refer to it as a six week ban. Some people call it a heartbeat ban. Um, and uh, we have exceptions for if the life of the mother is in danger, danger, fetal anomaly, and then rape and incest if they report it to the police and can provide a police report. Um, so pretty strict ban with a few exceptions, but but uh, realistic, that sounds like an almost total ban. Right, because then we also have uh, what a lot of other states don't have is we have personhood was written into our law. Mm. So that grants rights to you know, the way our law is written, it grants rights to an embryo in the womb at any stage of development is the way it's worded. Um, and with that, you know, we think, we don't know, like everyone is trying to figure out what this actually means um, in Georgia for, you know, women carrying babies and, and embryos and fetuses. And so, um, but what they did write specifically into the law is that in Georgia, uh, once fetal cardiac activity can be detected, um, you, the, the state has to count uh, embryos in the state population. Yeah. Uh, people can claim uh, the embryo on their taxes as a dependent and uh, women can file for child support or financial help for the cost of pregnancy and delivery. So um, Democrats are saying because of this uh, personhood piece, you know, what's to say that a prosecutor won't charge a woman or a provider for murder if she gets abortion at any stage, if an embryo is considered a person at any stage of development? Wow. And so that's in court next week. Do we know if there'll be a decision prior to the election? 
his decision, this, this judge's decisions have come pretty quickly. And he mm -hmm. also happens to be the judge who's been uh, hearing our, our county uh, investigation into uh, January 6th. And Donald Trump. So he's a, he's a, he's, he's a busy, busy guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you know, the, the hearing, the, the trial is scheduled for Monday and Tuesday. Okay. He said Monday and Tuesday, if necessary, the last time we had a hearing, he returned something in about a week will be two weeks out from the election. It's possible, but wow. I think either way, Democrats might benefit from it because abortion is going to be back in the headlines and back on TV. Right. People are going to be talking about it again. And to so your we'll point, see what yeah, that does. the news cycle moves so quickly. Time is a flat so circle. Quick. It's overwhelming. <laughs> All right. Allie tweets simply, yes, abortion is driving my vote, regardless of the Democrats using reproductive rights as an election issue and their lack of will to protect those rights previously. So I think on the left, you have some frustration, but people are still going to go Democratic if they're in that camp. I want to bring in Shri from Belmont. Shri, go ahead. Welcome to Forum. Uh, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. So, I'm an emergency physician, uh, so I'm not an OB-GYN, but it's really frustrating to hear the conversations around abortion, especially this this whole issue of this um, straw man argument about the late-term abortion. I think, first of all, it's clear that we need to pass an amendment to protect the right to abortion. Uh, you know, there's been multiple comments from senators saying, Republican senators, that they want to ban it at a federal level. I think what I'm frustrated about and what I want to comment on is the idea that when people are talking about late for abortion, the idea that a physician is going to do this. There's not a physician out there that's going to sit and look at a woman at eight and a half months and say, sure, I'm going to help you with an abortion on an eight and a half month healthy fetus. That is not a thing. Right. You know, and so this, it's just insulting. You know, people come to the emergency department. They come to us for care. They're dying of COVID. We, you know, we go through residency. We go to med school. We sacrifice a lot. Mm. And then people are just making these assumptions that we're just going to do whatever. Like we have no medical judgment. We have no ethics. We have no standard for our care. Uh, that's not a thing. We have very strict moral and ethical and medical standards about when we provide care. Yeah. And I, I frankly also don't want to see 16-year-olds in my emergency department dying of septic abortions and bleeding. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about that. Like, yeah, when we talk about, I mean, the viability question, we could do a whole hour on that. But just this question of like of late term abortions, like it, it, when would that happen then? You are talking about cases where somebody is the, the mother is in dire straits medically. Is that really what those are reserved I mean, for? Again, I'm not an OB-GYN, so yeah. I have to put that as preface. But so the context is typically going to be when a um, an fetal abnormality is picked up that is not consistent with life. So when the baby's going to be delivered either not living or the baby's going to be delivered and not going to survive more than a couple of hours. Yeah. So, you know, I have which is incredibly kids. traumatic. I, I have no yeah. desire to ask someone to have a uh, uh, delivery right. and then watch their baby die after going through a 40-hour delivery. Yeah. Uh, that is that is torture that is not humane. Um, treatment of, of a family or of a woman, yeah. uh, first of all. And, you know, the circumstances that are life-threatening, um, although typically post-viability, if you're that far along, if there's a life-threatening circumstance, you typically do a C-section or some other procedure. Again, I defer to my OB-GYN colleagues on the specifics of that. Yeah. But, this, like, an actual abortion where the, the fetus is, you know, um, being aborted, you're not doing a C-section, you're not doing a delivery. Right. Uh, late term is not a situation that occurs uh, 
typically, uh, as far as I know, unless the, the, that fetus is not going to survive. All right. Shree, thank you so much for the call. That was really interesting. Joe, your, yeah, your thoughts uh, just here. Real quickly, that uh, these uh, abortions that are later in uh, term are 1% of okay. all abortions. So just to, yeah. for perspective. Melanie, what do you make of that, though? I mean, I do think that often folks who oppose abortion really want to dig in on these issues. We heard Maya say that that's been sort of, uh, you know, pushed on somebody like Reverend Warnock, this question of like, what exactly do you mean? Is it are the, is the debate politically getting that deep or is it sort of just yes or no? I, I support the right or I don't. I, I have to say that I'm pretty surprised that Democrats have not figured out what their message is about this, because right. I think to the caller's point, like a to Joe's point, these are exceedingly, exceedingly rare. And we're talking about abortions in this country. And also we are almost always talking about sort of extreme medical consequences. And yet Democrats never, I think, are able to sort of take that question and sort of challenge the premise. If anything, they kind of go silent. Um, and I think that that then it sort of, I think, gives Republicans a little bit of a window to um, sort of uh, appeal a little bit more to, to public opinion. What we've seen in polling is that people are generally uncomfortable with later term abortions, but they are also uncomfortable with not providing exceptions for the health of the mother. And I think that Democrats, quite frankly, cede a lot of ground when they don't push back on this idea that late term abortions are, as Republicans call it, sort of on demand and at the whim of uh, pregnant people. Yeah. Maya Prabhu, I know you're, we're letting you go in a couple minutes. Um, any final thoughts about just like what you'll be watching in these final weeks of the campaigns in Georgia? Um, we mentioned the governor's debate, but it seems like the Senate races were a lot of the national attention is focused yeah definitely um all eyes are on the um on the senate race uh georgia feels like the center of the political universe again <laughs> um it's kind of been ongoing for four years now I'm, I'm, we're tired you're a little but, exhausted uh, <laughs> i hear you girl i hear you <laughs> but but yeah so um you know, it's, there's a lot of attention on that. We had our one debate where Herschel Walker said he would participate last week. Um, and it's just going to be a lot of, of energy going into this going forward. We had, uh, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda was here yesterday campaigning with Warnock. Um, Obama is coming. Barack Obama is coming next week. Um, so it's kind of going to be this mad dash uh, push in the in the coming weeks as we um hopefully do not have a runoff and, yeah, I was gonna and, say. and make it to november 8th all right that was maya prabhu she's state government reporter with the atlanta journal constitution maya so thank you so much for joining us this morning yeah thank you for having me we're also talking with melanie mason she's national political correspondent for the la times and joe garofoli senior political writer for the san francisco chronicle after our break we'll be bringing in another guest as well we do want to hear from you is abortion driving your vote do you think democrats are focusing on it too much in their campaigns not enough what about republicans you can email us at kq at forum at kqed.org you can find us on twitter facebook or instagram we are at kqed forum or give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I am Marisa Lagos in for Mina Kim, and we are talking about abortion and the midterm elections, how the Supreme Court decision uh, throwing out the Roe v. Wade prior precedent uh, is affecting this year's election. With us is Joe Garofoli, senior political writer with the San Francisco Chronicle, Melanie Mason, national political correspondent with the Los Angeles Times. And I'd also like to welcome Lauren Rankin. She's author of Bodies on the Line at the Front Lines of the Fight to Protect Abortion in America. Hey, Lauren, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we had a comment earlier about the Lindsey Graham uh, legislation, and I want to get that to the second. But first, I do want to bring things back quickly to California. Um, As we mentioned, there is a ballot measure, Prop 1, that is going to enshrine the right to reproductive access and abortion into the state constitution if it passes. And... uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, who's not really campaigning much for his own reelection, um, has been campaigning for this and a couple other ballot measures. Let's hear him making the case for Prop 1. All across the country, health care clinics that provide abortions are being shut down by extreme Republican politicians. In state after state, fundamental freedoms are vanishing. Women are under attack. But this November, we say not here. Prop 1 will enshrine reproductive rights in the California Constitution. So clinics remain open. Abortion remains legal, and California remains a freedom state forever. Yes, on Prop 1. Joe Garofalo, you mentioned earlier, this is very likely to pass. We're out of the prediction business, except for yes. in things like this. But yes. uh, is it doing what Democrats hoped? Like, do people know about it? No, they don't. And, and case in point, uh, last week uh, I, I was covering something where Hillary Clinton came to San Francisco to talk about Prop 1. Now, why is Hillary Clinton? You, that's a that's still a big gun in the uh, in the Democratic Party. And why is she coming to San Francisco? I is mean, it? If, I know if, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I feel like she's very controversial. So it's always she's interesting to but, me when people. But to rally yeah. the base, she okay. does that. Okay. She does. Okay. That's what okay. she wrote. But they brought her into San Francisco. I mean, what's the point of that? I mean, right. uh, the point is because, as we said earlier. They believe 45 percent of voters know this is even on the ballot. But when they do know, it it spikes up. The interest, especially among younger folks, increases. Okay. So they're trying to do everything they can to get uh, draw awareness to it. And then and, and the Newsom ad, let's face it, that also helps his uh, future presidential run. Um, well, Lauren Rankin, we have a question from a listener who says, if the state passes Proposition 1 and a future Congress passes a national abortion ban, what would happen in California? As a voter, abortion and voting rights are top of mind. And I think we could ask that not just for California, but for any states with this you know, enshrined constitutional right. Do we know how that would interplay legally? It really depends on what the legislation would look like, unfortunately, in terms of a national ban. If this law, um, or if this proposition does pass as it's anticipated to, it would protect that law in the state constitution in California. However, if a national ban is passed and signed into law, that would supersede a state law. 
So then it would wind its way through the courts. And if anyone has any idea of how that would turn out, you know, I think we need only look at the Supreme Court breakdown in terms of conservative justices. But that's um, that's a few steps away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what we do know. Um, Melanie mentioned earlier that she's been surprised at how actually little sort of cohesiveness on messaging uh, Democrats have had, given, you know, how extreme some of the bans are, the the horrific stories we're hearing about young women having to travel out of state or having their lives on the line because they can't get um, what's essentially in some cases, a a miscarriage uh, sort of expelled from their body. And you've written about why you think Senator Lindsey Graham introduced a 15-week national abortion ban. Um, Talk about the politics here. Like, why, why why would Republicans, any Republican, want that in the news this year? It's such a great question. I I really interpreted that as um, <laughs> kind of an it, a really smart midterm tactic. Um, mm-hmm. Lindsey Graham is not up for re-election. He has nothing to lose by uh, putting this forward in terms of popularity or votes. However, it allowed Mitch McConnell, it allowed John Cornyn to these two leading Senate Republicans to say, well, I wouldn't vote for that. So it allows the party to position itself as far more tolerant and accepting of abortion than they actually are. Their their record on abortion is crystal clear. And there is no reason to think that this party wouldn't pass a national ban if it had the numbers to do it. But this was sort of put up at, first of, first of all, a 15-week ban is unconstitutional and absurd. It's an abortion ban, period. But it also allows us to reframe this conversation. And I've heard several times in this conversation, we're using the term late-term abortion. Those aren't things. Late-term abortion is actually a propaganda term that was made up by anti-abortion opponents. So the, the actual medical term is later abortions. We've turned the entire conversation into, well, do you support this very rare and very traumatizing kind of care that people need when they're in life-threatening situations? Instead, we're talking about this absurd conjecture that Democrats support butchering babies, which is, of course, absurd. So it, it it really allowed them to reframe the conversation. And the Democratic Party, which has for decades tried to bury abortion, is, you know, reaping what it sowed in terms of abortion is very popular. But if you don't act like the thing you're defending is worth defending, no one else is going to act like it either. Yeah. Joe, you want to jump in? Yeah. And let's make no mistake about it. Uh, in addition to Graham's uh, uh, support for this uh, 15-week uh, ban. Uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who is very likely to be our next speaker, uh, supports it. And, and in the in the party's commitment to America, which is the legislative agenda that they have, a, a very kind of... A, Vague. <laughs> one-pager. It's, it's a one-pager. Uh, a lot of bullet points there. It does include a promise to, quote, protect the lives of unborn and unborn children and their mothers, but offered no specifics. Yeah. All right. I have a comment from Jessica who says, I'm an independent. I'm 65. I'm very concerned about the life of the innocent baby. I know friends long ago who had abortions after one night stands and they're depressed about that now. I just want to speak for the rights of the baby. We can leave that there. Um, Melanie, I mean, when we think about the national landscape and and the, you know, the Lindsey Graham um, proposal, like, is that something that Republican Mem- you know, folks running for Congress, especially in these swing districts, are touching at all? 
not if they don't have to, uh, not unless their uh, Democratic opponent brings it up. But I think that another sort of point to Lauren's point about what about maybe the strategy of what Senator Graham was doing for putting that um, forward. I also think it's really important to talk about the context of what we saw immediately after Dobbs, which was a raft of legislation in the state houses, particularly in those that were uh, controlled by Republicans, which they had been proposing bans that went even further than what Senator Graham was proposing. We saw states like Louisiana call for, you know, banning abortion at the at the moment of conception, which I think the logistics of that are a little bit confusing, but <laughs> could also um, have, you know, would have the, the effect of also um, banning some types of contraception as well. Uh, and I think that there was a lot of, of uh, focus, uh, quite frankly, on the entire country, not just on the Dobbs decision, but the series of laws that were, were being proposed and passed in state houses in the months afterwards that I think really galvanized people's attention. And what has happened now? Well, most state legislatures are not in session right now. So we are not seeing, I think, the even um, the most possible sweeping bans that had been proposed in the states still in the headlines. I thought it was interesting what Maya, the reporter from Georgia, had said earlier that uh, the Georgia law is actually going to be back in the headlines because of this mm -hmm. court action. It'd be interesting to see what the dynamics are there. But I really think that the action that was going on in the state houses in the immediate aftermath of Dobbs um, is, is a crucial opponent, component that I think is being under-discussed. And part of the reason I think that Senator Graham put forth a 15-week ban is because relative to some of the things we saw in some of the states, that would look, quote unquote, reasonable. And I think that that was another way he wanted to reorient the conversation. Um, now you don't have these headlines of states like Louisiana, um, uh, name a, a state that's quite frankly uh, controlled by conservative legislatures because we saw quite a few, um, they're not in the headlines anymore. And so therefore Republicans don't have to be as reactive to it as they once were. Yeah. I mean, Lauren Rankin, you have talked and written about, you know, we saw in Kansas or Missouri. No, I'm <laughs> Kansas, Kansas, yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a pretty strong showing a lot of new registrations of women uh, to support abortion rights in a special election. Um, there's been, I think, kind of um, head scratching about whether that's going to translate. I mean, like, what is your sense in terms of the potency of this, whether it's being talked about in the right way? And, and is it actually driving votes or are these bigger you know, economic concerns kind of stealing the thunder? Well, I think what Melanie said is really important that um, abortion and abortion bans aren't in the headlines anymore, right? But that doesn't mean that abortion bans aren't happening. Abortion is banned right now in nearly a dozen states. The people who live in those states who need care have to go somewhere else to get an abortion. That might not be in the headlines because it isn't sexy or it hasn't just happened. But the reality of what this looks like for people on the ground is a wealth of suffering that's happening now. And the fact that the headlines don't reflect that is less an indictment on, I think the democratic party or the people who need abortions and more an indictment on the media at large. But I think it's hard to know what this is going to look like. You know, white women um, as a voting block have time and again, sided with conservative policies and policy makers um, in, you know, pr prioritizing racial privilege over gender solidarity. So it's not clear how this is going to work out. No one really ever thought we would live in a post-Roe world. This is the first national election we have ever had when a fundamental right like abortion was taken away. And so it's, it, I really think that it's going to be 
an interesting thing to look at. I think in states like Michigan and California and Montana, where voters are asked specifically about abortion, I'm really curious to see what the turnout looks like there. Because when you ask people, as you said in Kansas, when you ask people, do you think abortion should be illegal? The vast majority of Americans clearly say no. So it's I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, Sergio tweets, I'm all for women's choice. However, I'm against Planned Parenthood. Tax money is spent on something for women only, and they don't do anything for men. That's sexist. I, I don't think that's true. Lauren. That's not true. They that's do. not true, Most Sergio. of their services Planned have, Parenthood yeah. provides care for men, too. Just want to put that out there. And most of their services are not abortion. It is family planning and all kinds of other medical care. Yes. Um, so just we'll leave that there. Um, we are talking about the role abortions playing in the midterms here in California and in key states with Melanie Mason of the L.A. Times, Joe Garofoli of the San Francisco Chronicle and Lauren Rankin. She's author of Bodies on the Line at the front lines of the fight to protect abortion in America. You're listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim today. All right. I do want to bring in another caller, Philip from Burlingame. Philip, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hi. Um, great show. You know, something that we don't talk about um, enough, you've mentioned it a little bit, but I think we need to talk about it a lot more is the connection between uh, Catholicism and uh, the anti-Prop 1. So we have a local um, Catholic church here who has anti Prop 1 signs on their property, and that violates their 503C, um, you know, tax-exempt mm, status. Yeah. And six of the nine U.S. Supreme Court justices are Catholic. And, of course, Joe Biden and, um, you know, the Speaker Pelosi are also Catholic. I, this is not an indictment of all Catholicism. About half of Catholics, like many other religions, are fairly liberal. Um so rather than find counterexamples, I think we should really concentrate upon the concentrated effort of, of the Catholic Church in conjunction with the evangelical yeah. church and how this has become a, you know, Thanks, it just doesn't seem right. Or Philip, I'm sorry. Philip, thank you so much. Yeah. Joe, I mean, we mentioned this before, but it's worth drilling into the the really only organized opposition to Proposition 1 in California is coming from the Catholic Church. I know that they've been messaging in English and Vietnamese. We've actually seen a pretty big set of contributions from the Vietnamese community. Absolutely. In Orange County, in Little Saigon, yes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and But the thing is, they are not raising a lot of money, like $161,000 they've raised, mm. which is a, I mean, that's not even But they're probably talking about it they're in church on Sunday. And... This, this caller is is absolutely right. They talk about it in the quote-unquote bulletin. You're going to the re your resident Catholic here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so you're hearing the messaging that way, and it's out there. Uh, the, the thing is, though, the Catholic voters are not a monolith by any stretch of the imagination. There are, in fact, many uh, Catholic voters uh, are, do not, uh, or support, I should say, support abortion rights. So it's, it's uh, but then again, our, our very own archbishop here is one of the leading uh, uh, anti-abortion rights activists in the country. He has picked a fight with Pelosi. I was going to say, he, <laughs> after the the Pope gave her communion, he's refused to, right? Yes, he, he is. Uh, well, it hasn't come to that because it's she. Right. Uh, he's, 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 he's talked uh, about it. He's talked about well, it. Well, Melanie, I mean, this does touch on an issue that you kind of mentioned earlier, which is evangelicals are actually a much stronger, I think, kind of um, – part of the uh, of the Republican coalition that feel very strongly about this. Are you seeing that play out in, uh, you know, on the ground in midterm races? 
Yeah, I mean, this could be a whole other hour discussion, but I think partially it is because evangelical has become as much of a uh, political marker as it is a religious one um, in the sense that I think that people are self-sorting and particularly we saw that, let's say, within the Latino community that um, uh, folks who I think are identify with a lot of the conservative politics maybe look for more socially conservative, um, more active churches in that sense. Um, we are seeing that growing sort of evangelical contingent as a, as a part of that. And so I do think that evangelical is both um, a, a, a denomination, but also a political marker is, a, is an important way to think of it. And I also think that to the point that, you know, uh, Catholicism is not monolithic on this. One of the things that's very interesting is we've actually seen in Latin America uh, countries liberalizing yeah, their abortion point. rights in places like Mexico. And so I think that we're we're watching um, and Ireland. I mean, take Latinas right. out of it. Yeah, sure. So there's there's just a lot more like complexities and nuances. And I think that for the purposes of the story that I did, this idea that um, I think both Democrats and Republicans had believed for a long time, which is Latinos equal Catholic equals anti-abortion was just like vastly oversimplified. And I think that uh, the parties are now trying to understand that there's nuance just there as there is among every other voting bloc. Yeah. We have another comment. Danielle writes, I'm continuously flabbergasted at the idea seemingly pitched by anti-abortion advocates that if, quote, late term abortions were readily available, all women in their final months will be flocking to the nearest clinic to terminate because they changed their mind. It reflects our cultural disrespect toward the mental and intellectual capacity of women. Lauren, I mean, we heard earlier from an ER doctor who was making this point, too. Like, these are so rare. It is only in, you know, cases where uh, usually there's no hope for a baby and, and, you know, the mother's life is at risk. But I want you to broaden that out because we haven't really touched on this issue of how much, you know, these laws in some states are affecting people who have miscarriages as well. Precisely. So in miscarriage management, um, you know, the same, it's the same regimen as an abortion. And so if a patient has an has a miscarriage in a state like Texas and they go to the hospital for miscarriage treatment, that opens the hospital up to potential prosecution because of the law. And doctors are really reticent to provide the care that they are ethically and morally bound to provide because they're afraid of legal consequences. You know, when we talk about later abortions, first of all, there are only four later abortion providers in the entire country. And they're only practicing in a few states, in Colorado, in New Mexico, and in Maryland. That's it. Um, there are four of them left. Two of them are in their 80s. <laughs> So this idea that like later abortions are just being given out willy nilly is absurd. And in order to get there, you require it requires thousands of dollars. It requires a flight. It requires you are in such a traumatic situation. Um, the reality of accessing an abortion isn't the story that has unfortunately been told and it needs to be because it, you should be able to go somewhere in your community. And right now you are probably traveling, you could be traveling 500 up to a thousand miles. Yeah. That's right. the reality. Yeah. All right. We're going to need to leave it there. We've been talking about the role abortion is playing in the midterms in California and in key states. And I want to thank all my guests, Melanie Mason, national political correspondent for the LA Times. Thanks for being here, Mel. Nice to be here. Joe Garofoli, senior political writer and host of the podcast, It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. He's with the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Hi, Mel. And uh, Lauren Rankin, author of Bodies on the Line at the Front Lines of the Fight to Protect Abortion in America. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much. We also had Maya with us earlier. Thanks, everyone. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.